Alright, folks, this is Rebel Rousing Rich Bergeron. This is the Tornado, Tony Pentecost. And Psychic Tom Paget. The Crystal Ball, red hot and ready to go. Alright. That was a Crystal Ball huge. Huge. <laughs> huge. Yeah, a huge Crystal Ball. Yes. Special one tonight. We have a great big interview tonight. Uh, huge, you might say. With uh, the president of the United States, we're gonna we're gonna have him on the show. I know a lot of people are like, "What? You you you're full of shit." But uh, keep listening, keep listening, folks, and um, we're gonna have him. He he actually took a few minutes out of his busy schedule because uh, you know I talked to him before, back when he was dealing with the affliction thing, and uh, in in the uh, chief position as an investor in that, and uh, trying to put it on the map against the UFC, and obviously that didn't work out, but, um, you know, we kept in touch over the years, so he gave us an interview and, and said, yeah, I can take five minutes for you, Rich, and uh, we got it, so uh, it'll be a little bit uh, further into the show tonight, we're just going to kind of uh, get a little bit of other breaking news in the mixed martial arts and boxing world off our chests here before we get into that. Um, big one, uh, you might say, for uh, the UFC couple big ones, you know, with their main male and female stars, or not main now, but uh, Ronda Rousey, after her 48-second beating there at the hands of Amanda Nunes, there's a couple stories there. Number one, uh, Amanda has come out and apologized for some of the things she said um, leading up to and after the fight, which was kind of interesting because it came uh, right along with Dana White coming out in public interviews saying that uh, Ronda will probably never fight again had to guess. Wow. Um, unless you want to say um, she'll be fighting in the movies. She probably won't be fighting in the cage, though. Um, just, uh, just a crazy situation, though. Um, that uh, It took that long, number one, for, for Nunez to realize, oh, you know, maybe I should apologize. She's done a lot for the sport, and she probably didn't deserve that. Um, but also that um, Dana White has come out there without actually really talking a lot to Rousey who has been very private after this defeat. So this is just a complete guess, and it's just circling the media like it's the truth. Which uh, now, you, you uh, might say... Amanda is, Amanda is apologizing for what exactly? She said some things about, uh, you know, Ron needs to go back to the movies, and, you know, just a lot of disrespectful things uh, about she's all done now, uh, and that's, you know... Stuff you say when you're trying to act tough after a win, basically. And it was sort of disrespectful to uh, Rhonda, so... She called herself out on it, which is uh, very odd. But it happens sometimes. Um, we also had a another female UFC fighter retiring from MMA now because of a brain scan abnormality um, related to a hemorrhage she suffered in a fight. Uh, she only was 2-1 and one in the UFC, but 16-6 and six overall throughout her career. Uh, Aisling Daly from uh, Ireland. And uh, actually, this article raised another issue, too, with another fighter. Same sort of issue with brain injury. John Fitch actually recently revealed that his fighting future was up in the air because of this concern, too. And uh, Carlos Condit also has the same fears, which is why he's probably not going to fight again. But, um, Carlos, who? I didn't catch that, Rich. Condit. Carlos Condit. Oh, Con he says he's not going to fight again? No. Hmm. Uh, and Aisling says, uh, this is her official statement, 
I will be officially retiring from the sport of MMA. This past year, a routine brain scan showed up evidence of an abnormality, the remnant of a small hemorrhage that had taken place at some point in the months previous. It would be unlikely I would be medically cleared to compete again, even in the event I could find a doctor who would clear me. It would be very unwise for me to continue to compete with the risks involved. So, unfortunate there, but uh, it is a reality of the sport, which is another reason why... Um, you know, we really need to look at some of this stuff and and start talking more seriously about unions without all these egos getting in the way. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, 29 years old, Aisling Daly, retiring from MMA. And uh, I'm almost 40 and I'm still not even into it. <laughs> trying, though. Uh, even Conor McGregor is actually saying recently that uh, there should be uh, unions which I've said before, I've, I wish he would come step up and, and start saying some of this stuff, but uh, he says, I'm watching this union thing, it's like a press conference, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? They're saying, they're standing up, they're all wearing the same t-shirt, they're saying, Connor, please, Connor, please, you know what's right, help us out, Connor, and George is saying, Connor's a good person, I know he gets paid well, but he doesn't get paid enough, and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> the only reason you're standing in the middle of that unit is because you, St. Pierre, couldn't get the deal you want. You're the fakest of everyone up there. Um, and uh, obviously that's kind of true that he did start that union in the wake of not being able to get his deal done with the UFC. So, you know, give McGregor all the shit in the world, but sometimes he gets the nail on the head there. Uh, he also added, as fighters, as a person who's dedicated everything and as a person who can retire now comfortably, I look at the situation that my peers are in and people who are assigned to the promotion, and there needs to be something. Uh, but that wasn't it. That was a bunch of, I don't know what that was. That was like a failed promoter. Your man, what's his name? Rebney. That was like a failed promoter. George was up there angry because he couldn't get the deal that he wanted. It was just the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, that's just one of the unions. Uh, and he said again, there needs to be something, I just don't know what it is, I'm focusing on me, I'm focusing on my family security, my family's financial security, that's all I can do. So, when I saw that, I just thought it was the biggest, fakest load of shit I've seen in my life, so I don't know, I wish everyone well, but you need to focus on yourself, you need to stop putting your hand out, everyone's hands are out, everyone wants things for free. You've got to put in the work, you got to grind, you got to go through the struggle, and you've got to get it, you deserve it, go get it, don't complain, don't cry, get the fuck up and go get it. And a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people cry and complain and put their hand out and beg. And it never goes well. So, I don't know. <laughs> uh, there needs to be something. I just don't know what that is. Well, I guess he, uh, he's he got that message down pat there. A little repetitive with that one. But it is what it is. Um, Matt Mitrione also, uh, I wanted to talk about this last week, but I didn't get to read it until recently before the show, but this came out last week, he criticized uh, these win bonuses uh, that fighters are getting, he says it's stupid, a split purse is ignorant, all it is is a way for promoters to save money and to put a carrot in front of a horse, that's all it is, like if you win, you'll get 24 grand, all it does is make guys fight like bullshit, or it makes it so you can't base your financial life, you can't say, after this fight, I will have 24 grand, because you don't know. And, of course, Mitrione is slated to fight Fedor Emelianenko on February 18th in San Jose. And he's been uh, pretty vocal about pay raises, especially considering he used to work for the NFL. Uh, probably got paid a lot better there. 
he says that uh, even with 12,000 to show and another 12,000 to win, uh, if a fighter loses, he could end up with as little as four grand after paying coaches, taxes, and other expenses. So he says, good job, you got 4,000 bucks, good for you, and that's the way it is. You end up like, what the hell do I do? You're living on a couch with some guy that you don't know that well. You're living in a gym just to have a shower, and you're on the main card. Everybody knows your name now, but you ain't got shit for it. Good job, Chuck. That's the way it goes. It's a rough gig. So he, uh, he actually added some even more interesting stuff. He said, we've been taken advantage of willingly because I don't think any of us are educated enough on the finer aspects of a business or being an athlete. I think we were taken advantage of for a long time. I think that we were naive about a whole lot and I think that we were so afraid of either being cut or being blackballed or getting really bad fights or whatever. Uh, he also talked about a friend of his getting paid peanuts for another organization uh, even though he's fighting against a ranked opponent and this friend of his is afraid to ask for more money because he wants a shot in this promotion and uh, doesn't want any kind of retaliation he says you're going to risk never being the same human being again every time you walk into the cage and you're there for peanuts just to appease these dudes That's hope that hopefully they're going to come back and give you some kind of fair shake what happens if you beat this guy who's ranked in the world? They're going to give you an easier fight next time for pennies? Hell no. Uh, he said, I think we're, we're always so afraid of the retribution of that. I think that's the reason why we need a union. I think the fact that we could have somebody that we can lean on that can go fight for us when some sideways stuff happens, which it does happen on a regular basis. So, yeah, that's... Leave it to Matt Metrione. Speaking the truth there. Let's see what else. Well, big Conor McGregor story. Uh, he says the next time he's going to fight, it will be will be in a boxing ring, not the octagon. It will be. And um, the more I'm, the more I hear about this, I know we've talked this to death, but um, I actually caught uh, the other day Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp on Fox Sports One talking about this the other day. Uh, what did they have to uh, say about it? Well, actually, Shannon was pretty much making the argument that Connor knows this is a no-win situation for him as far as you know beating Floyd. He just wants the money. And this is kind of an interesting theory uh, because his idea is that after he does this fight, then he can go back to the UFC and say, this is my minimum now. I just got paid $20 million for a boxing match to pay to fight Floyd Mayweather, so my minimum for UFC fights is now $20 million. Uh, which I never thought of that. I mean, strangely enough, I mean, it makes sense, but I never thought that was his motivation for it until <laughs> that was said out loud, and I started thinking, well, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. Uh, and, you know, famous people, famous people like that, they, they do... Uh, especially in the sports world, they do get to talk to a lot of people that are close to the situation who might know better than we do. Um, and we heard Floyd's <laughs> little tirade last week that I played where he said, basically, he doesn't want to talk to Dana White, he wants to talk to the owners of the USC about making this boxing match happen. Um, so obviously he doesn't think Dana White is going to be willing to give this thing a chance enough to, to put out the big dollars. I think the offer was $25 million, I think. Uh, that was to Floyd. So, I don't think uh, he's that open about uh, paying the kind of money that Connor wants for this thing. And I would think that Floyd Mayweather 
would want to be more involved with promoting it and wouldn't want to let the UFC put their name all over it. You would definitely want a piece of that. So I don't think it's going to go. If it goes, it's not going to go with the UFC promoting the entire thing by itself. It's just not going to happen. They're going to have to make some kind of a deal. And Dana White is famous for not making those type of deals. So I think that's why another reason why Floyd wants to go around them. But skip. Yeah, because uh, that assumes that the UFC gives gives Connor uh, the green light to do it. But I think Skip. Um, I'm not remembering exactly what he said about it. But skip was making the argument that McGregor could actually beat Floyd, um, and he hits hard hard enough to beat him. Uh, and and either way, Skip was saying it's going to be a heck of a show because nobody is going to fuck with McGregor, I mean Mayweather more than McGregor will. Kind of like why uh, Nate Diaz versus McGregor was so fun to watch even if McGregor did lose that one. You know, at least uh, Diaz was giving him shit through the whole fight. So, it was entertaining. Um, but even if it is a, you know, walk away win for Floyd, everybody makes money and uh, it looks good. But um, the reason why he says he's definitely going to fight in a boxing ring is because he's not leaving it up to Floyd. Uh, it's going to be a boxing ring because uh, if it's not going to be Floyd, it's going to be Manny. He's willing to give Manny Pacquiao an opportunity at this thing. Uh, which then would open up a whole new can of worms if uh, Pacquiao does extremely well uh, with the Pacquiao versus Mayweather rematch talk. definitely going to have to keep an eye on that. Uh, another interesting story here. Mixed martial arts fighter Jason Mayhem Miller. Been in the news more often than not over the years. For all the wrong reasons. But this time he has been acquitted somehow of two felony counts of domestic battery with corporal injury and a misdemeanor charge of violating a protection order in regards to his girlfriend. Uh, you might remember that uh, Uriah Hall almost got into a fist fight with uh, Mayhem Miller at an event after uh, some witnesses said that Mayhem threw a drink on his girlfriend or something and was uh, berating her in public and yelling at her. But Miller is claiming that it's his girlfriend, a uh, girl named Anna Stabile, who is the crazy one. And she attacked him on several occasions. Uh, he took the stand and described an incident that... Uh, Stabile supposedly hurled a bottle at him. He said the bottle missed him and damaged the wall. Another incident, she supposedly jumped on his back and lunged at him with a knife at one point, chased him out the back door, ripped off his shirt, jumped on his back and choked him. And um, one of the jurors in this case said, the DA side didn't have enough evidence that pointed in Mr. Miller's direction. It seemed like it was all hearsay as opposed to actual fact. But he's cleared now. So who knows what's next. But uh, he did supposedly go to the gym to celebrate. Well, maybe he's uh, making a comeback. Yeah, maybe. I hope not. <laughs> not the most exciting fighter, if you ask me. Uh, Golden Boy has had its lawsuit against uh, boxing manager Al Heyman. Dismissed from federal court. Um, and, uh, boy, this is a very interesting one. Um, we've got a federal judge in Los Angeles last Thursday 
before the show, dismissed the lawsuit by Oscar De La Hoya's Golden Boy Promotions, claiming that rival manager Al Heyman had engaged in monopolistic practices with Premier Boxing Champions. Uh, and basically, um, this is kind of funny the way they ruled here. They said uh, the plaintiffs did not adequately outline what they call harm to competition. All they did was outline harm to themselves. <laughs> Which is basically saying, uh, you know, we woe is me, we can't compete with these guys, but um, other people can, so why can't you, is basically what the judge is saying. Um, and uh, an attorney representing Heyman said the court's ruling makes clear that the efforts by Heyman Sports were intended to and actually did increase competition in the boxing industry to the benefit of boxers, other promoters, and the fans. Um, and as we know from talking to one of the promoters um, out of Warriors Boxing that uh, Al Heyman deals with through uh, PBC, these are not sham promoters as Golden Boy charged either. That's another part of the case that... Uh, the judge commented on. Um, these guys all have legitimate promotional outfits, and, and Al Heyman is not serving as the promoter just because he's organizing all these fights and working with these promo different promoters. He's there; they are legitimate promoters. They're not just propped up here. So, um, the uh, the judge said, notwithstanding the plaintiff's pejorative label, the promoters that work with the PBC vehemently disagree that they are sham promoters. They have testified that testified that their duties are substantially the same as their duties for non-PBC events, which include, for example, maximizing event revenues and generating media attention for the event, coordinating with the pertinent state boxing commission, and uh, uh, fulfilling technical obligations, and uh, basically uh, getting the guards organized, uh, including sponsorship, getting medical personnel and safety equipment executing bout agreements, negotiating and entering into the venue agreement, and even sponsorships, selling tickets, assisting with television production, and collecting the proceeds from ticket sales, gate revenue, and uh, local sponsorship sales. And then the promoters collect network licensing fees as well. Uh, so, it's kind of hard to argue that Al Heyman is doing all this when you've got people testifying that, no, uh, they're doing it. Al Heyman is just the name behind the bigger company. So, uh, but he uh, he has an interesting part here of his uh, summary decision, Judge Walter. Uh, he said it can't be said often enough that the antitrust laws protect competition, not competitors. Competition is essential to the effective operation of the free market because it encourages efficiency, promotes consumer satisfaction, and prevents the accumulation of monopoly profits. When a producer is shielded from competition, he is likely to provide lesser service at a higher price, and the victim is con the consumer who gets a raw deal. This is the evil that antitrust laws are meant to avert, but when a producer deters competitors by supplying a better product at a lower price, he profits when he operates his business so as to meet consumer demand and increase consumer satisfaction, the goals of competition are served. While the successful competitor should not be raised above the law, neither should he be held down by the law? So, if you can't beat him, join him. That's what I say. And uh, obviously, that does not bode well for Mr. De La Hoya uh, with all his.
his recent issues. So I'll have to keep an eye out on uh, what he does next. But obviously, he's not going to be any getting any cash windfall out of this. And uh, I believe uh, Bob Aram's case is not doing much better, even though it's in a different realm. But I'll have to check on that later. But it makes sense. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that three months ago after reading all the shady stuff that was going on with Bellator, I mean, with uh, PBC. But the uh, more I think about it and read that kind of stuff, um, you know, for once, uh, I'm proud of our judiciary system for coming up with that conclusion because that doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, basically, he's saying that the same laws that are protecting the marketplace from, uh, you know, starting to reward a monopoly are the laws that protect this guy who's actually not even, in this guy's opinion, producing a monopoly here. Because if you think about a monopoly, that means that you're making a shitload of money off excluding other people from the marketplace. But what this guy's arguing, and you could make a good case out of it, obviously somebody did, the lawyers did, that uh, saying that, you know, here's the marketplace, here's this guy putting out a product on free TV, so everybody has to work extra hard to compete with that. And, you know, the boxers are still to do business, which would be a monopoly. Uh, and, and not everybody is using him. I mean, HBO has nothing to do with PBC. Um, Showtime and some of the minor networks. So, anyway. You know, as shady as the whole investment picture might have been, uh, and, you know, how that developed without... Uh, necessarily going through the proper channels with investors there at uh, the firm that put all the money behind PBC. Uh, the actual business practice does make a lot of sense and could actually, like the judge says, um, help competition even if it doesn't help all competitors. Basically. So. It is what it is there and uh, it's interesting development. I didn't think it was going to go that way. I would think that... Uh, these guys would uh, have better lawyers being in the boxing game for so long. <laughs> uh, smart judge, I think, there. Alright, so. Also have a uh, big fight on uh, Fox Sports 1 from PBC tonight. Uh, Sammy Vasquez versus uh, Luis Calazo in the main event. And uh, I guess we'll kind of give that a rundown a little bit later. Uh, but let's just cut to the chase here uh, before we get into the rest of the show and uh, and take a break and we'll we'll play the Trump interview with President Trump. We talked to him a little bit earlier in the day. He's had a lot going on, but uh, we got we got a few minutes of his time. And without further ado, we're gonna go right into that. Right. So here we go. All right, welcome to the broadcast, President Trump. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule for us today. And, uh, of course, speaking of busy, you've been getting so much done since you took this job. Some people think it's awesome, but other people seem to think you don't know what you're doing. And you might be going too fast. You've really been hit hard on your reaction to the media's poor inauguration coverage and your rollout of something you first called a travel ban, only to change your mind and say it shouldn't be called a ban at all. So, uh, to make a long story short, my first question for you, Mr. Trump, is how would you characterize your own performance so far as president? We can call it whatever we want to call it, but it's a startup. 
Mr. President Trump, um, pleasure to have you on the show. I know you're a huge uh, combat sports fan, so I'm anxious to know what you think of all this talk of a boxing match between Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. Yeah, I think that it will be interesting to see. Now, Mr. President, you've obviously generated a great deal of controversy and criticism with the media, but you've done a great job of painting them as the opposition party. How do you see that strategy working over the course of your presidency? Uh, I'll let you know about it in about a year or two, okay? But I really think it's going to be very successful. Uh, now, Mr. Trump, do you think there's a, a chance uh, all this negative attention and this uh, saber-rattling by your administration could lead to the Democrats regaining control of the Congress in the midterm elections? I'll let you know about it in a couple of years. All right, thanks a lot. Okay, maybe you'll let me know about it. Mr. President, uh, you, jokingly asked, you jokingly asked the people to pray for Arnold Schwarzenegger this morning, but do you honestly think he can carry The Apprentice in your absence? And, you know, business is business, and sometimes things work great, and sometimes they don't work great. Mr. Trump is the resident psychic on this broadcast. I'm just wondering if you might have a prediction about how our little show will do after this huge interview. I think it's going to be very successful. So really, Mr. Trump, why did you give our little show this huge opportunity here? This is one I think is a natural. And Mr. Trump, you've tackled so many different difficult uh, adversaries in these uh, last two weeks. You've been squaring off with potential terrorists trying to come to our shores as refugees, the leaders of Mexico and Iran, and you even had a little trouble with the Prime Minister of Australia on a phone call recently. In light of uh, how tough you've been on all these characters, what advice would you have to give to the leaders of China in the weeks ahead? Good luck. All right. Uh, thanks again, uh, President Trump, for taking a few minutes away from leading the free world to talk with us here today. We want to let you know we appreciate what you're doing and wish you the best of luck in the future. We know if anyone can fix this country's problems, it's you, sir. Thank you, everybody. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you on uh, Saturday night in a week. All right, folks. Uh, there you have it. There's uh, Donald Trump taking a few minutes out of his uh, great schedule. Busy, busy, busy man, but uh, yeah, time for us. Yes, exactly, and uh, had a lot of good things to say about our show, so he listens to us. Who, who, who would have thought? All right. So, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be uh, looking back at that one for a long time. President of the United States. All right. Yes, sir. Uh, one degree of separation now. <laughs> one degree of separation. How cool is that? Uh, we'll, we'll let everybody in on the secret a little later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I say if a man lives long enough, just about anything happens. Right. So I'm, I'm living proof. <laughs> and uh, big shout out to Good Morning Vietnam on the idea, by the way. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we had some Bellator and UFC events, first of the year, uh, happening uh, over last weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday. Uh, it was kind of a disappointing uh, main event there in Bellator. Um, Chidi Njikwani uh, pretty much manhandled Melvin Gillard. Uh, he's O for Bellator in his experience with them, so I don't know uh, what's in the future for him, but this is at a catch weight, so he didn't even really have to cut weight, and just he looked horrible in that one. Uh, but uh, Caveman delivered. Caveman David Rickolds uh, beat uh, Aaron Deep DeRoe by a third round knockout, just 44 seconds into that one, that third round. 
Also had uh, Jessica Middleton get a nice win uh, by unanimous decision over Alice Yager. AJ McKee beat Brandon Phillips by unanimous decision. Justin Overton got a technical submission from a rear naked choke in the second round over Gaston Reno. Jordan Harris beat Jordan Young, sorry, beat Chris Harris by unanimous decision. Tyrell Fortune beat Will Johnson by second round TKO, four minutes and 27 seconds into that round. And uh, we also had a second round TKO for Jared Trice over Kevin Woltkamp. And we won't go over the rest of the names, kind of minor fights there. But You know, um, my comment about Goyard, um, what is he, th- I think he's only 33. Yeah. Not much older than that, but this is a stereotype. Great example of a fighter that is chronologically a lot older. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, not I mean, chron- yeah. it's older than his chronological age. TV because um, you know they had like a replay every single night uh, at like prime time hours of this whole card, uh, even the preliminaries. Uh, I think even last night they had Sam Alvey's fight I was watching, uh, who who did a hell of a job against um, uh, Nate Marquardt, who obviously is a different fighter than when he started, but um, just, just looked tired. He looked sloppy. Looked out of. Uh, out of it. Just didn't understand the fight game anymore. I didn't see really any major kick attempts on Marquardt's part. I didn't see him throw an elbow. Uh, maybe a couple knees here and there, but uh, Sam Alvey did most of the work with one-two combinations. <laughs> and a few uppercuts yeah. here and there. Uh, but I think with Nate, again, you have to look at how long that guy's been around. There's a lot of mileage on those tires. Right. A lot. And, I mean, Sam didn't do anything really dynamic. He did throw a couple kicks, but didn't land anything major. Just, uh, you know, that one-two combination. Just a decent jab. His hands were a little higher, too, if you notice. If you watched the fight a couple times, you'll see that uh, Sam is kind of in the habit of, that I try to keep with at least keeping one hand close to the chin at all times. And you see Nate stalking around the ring with his arms at chest level or out to the sides. And his hands aren't anywhere near his face, which, you know, helped him get a couple cuts here and there and look the worse for wear at the end of it. So, not a good look for him in that one. And uh, definitely not looking good for uh, moving up the ladder, that's for sure. Uh, we also had a split decision win for Rafael Asenseo before that one over Aljamain Sterling. And that one was kind of a toss-up, uh, the way they were going at it back and forth. A lot of, a lot of different... Uh, scores on that one. Uh, and then earlier in the night, we had Jiang Ling Lee beating Bobby Nash by TKO from, or KO from punches. So that's about 15 yeah, that, seconds. Yeah, that, uh, second. that was exciting. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Johnson beating Luis Henrique da Silva by unanimous decision, or before that. Yeah, uh, uh, Rich, what do you think of uh, 
the boxing of Jordan Johnson? I don't think I watched that one. I think I started uh, with the Us and Seau fight, and I caught the end of that. Okay, well, well, Johnson uh, came in with um, just sterling wrestling credentials. Um, Iowa, All-American, all that. But uh, to me, he really worked on just basic boxing, nothing fancy. But he seemed to have, uh, he was using a jab, which we just don't see nearly enough, in my opinion. <laughs> And he wasn't bum-rushing. He was setting things up. And, um, I mean, I think he's a work in progress. I mean, he's not really anywhere near the professional boxing level, but he does seem like he's worked on the basics good and um, should serve him well. Yeah. I will have to see if I can find that fight. But, uh, Eric Spicely also got a win over Alessio Di Chirico by triangle choke, two minutes and 14 seconds into the round. By the way, uh, speaking of triangles... I thought there was another moment in the fight. Uh, I forget which round it was with uh, Nate Marquardt and Sam Alvey. Uh, but Nate Marquardt ended up getting uh, Sam Alvey's back. And he had one of the hooks in. And there was an opportunity when Alvey was trying to twist out of it where Nate was like a half second away and one move away from locking in a body triangle. And it was up against the cage and then he... He didn't let it. Didn't really take advantage of the position. Didn't move to, to, to do a body triangle. I don't know if that's not something that he does in training or what. But I mean, it's just perfect opportunity. All he had to do was tuck his foot underneath his the back of his leg, and there he's got a body triangle. He can move Sam all over the mat and maybe knock him out. Maybe get the rear naked choke in. But he, he squandered that, and uh, they called it an explosion. It was more of a roll, uh, and Alvy was back on his feet, and that was really. Marquardt's only chance for the rest of the fight, so it's really kind of shocked that he let that opportunity slip away there. Uh, <clears throat> you know, sometimes when you get a little bit older and slower, shit like that happens. <laughs> anyway. uh, we also had uh, Marcos Rogerio de Lima beating Jeremy Kimball in the first round, 227 into that one from some punches. Alcott Shelton by split decision. And the first fight of the night, Jason Gonzalez beat J.C. Cottrell by Brabo Choke Submission. That was in the first round. It's about four minutes in. And, of course, main event. Going down the main card from the top, uh, Valentina Shevchenko got a very uh, crazy upset with just 30 seconds left in the second round. 31 seconds to be exact. She pulled off an arm bar. Uh, so Shevchenko moves to 14-2. and two. And submits Juliana Pena, who was really a favorite to move right up the ranks and fight for a title. But uh, now it's going to be Shevchenko probably versus Nunes. Um, and uh, let's see what happens. But uh, Yeah. Now, now, Rich, what did you think of Valentina's strategy? Did you see what she had done that a lot of guys weren't able to do when she was pinned up against the cage? Yeah, she basically, I mean, she moved, she used a lot of head movement, she used a lot of uh, different strategy, uh, she didn't let Pena use her advantages, her range, her reach, um, you know, her power, Valentina was just a lot quicker, kind of reminded me of Paige Van Zandt in her earlier fights when she was kind of uh, overmatching her opponents just by sheer right. energy and, and output. And did you notice that whenever Juliana went to uh, throw a knee, Valentina timed a foot sweep perfect. Yeah. yeah. And uh, her timing was impeccable. I mean, I, 
Yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those, why haven't we seen this before? Because when that knee's off the ground, <laughs> you've got one leg to go with. And she timed it so good, and she landed right inside now. And I knew that Juliana really didn't have a plan B. She had to keep trying to you know, get her against the cage and, and try the same thing and keep throwing something, or she'd be, uh, they'd break it up. And uh, Valentina just seemed to have a flawless strategy about that. I mean, I just, I had never seen it done quite that good before. So you get a chance to take a look at that again. And just, just her timing was just right on the money. And Valentina said, this is what she worked on. Well, she's another one from the stand. Yeah. They say uh, Kurdistan she's from. Yeah. Well, you, you know what I say about the stands. <laughs> no one from the stand. Any of those stands, that's always trouble. Yeah. That's not a cheap date, the, the stands. Kazakhstan, whatever stand, you know, all these stands. Yeah, living in Peru, strange yeah. situation. And uh, it just—I seemed like a night of upsets too. I mean, um, I'm not sure if it was, you know, straight along the odds makers' uh, uh, definition of upsets and, and Vegas definitions, but um, you know, if you're not really closely following MMA and you didn't hear a lot about some of these people like uh, Jorge Masvidal and Francis Ngannou in the supporting belts. You would have been surprised seeing them beat guys like Donald Cerrone and Andre Arlovsky. Uh The Masvidal fight in particular because Cerrone was just absolutely demolished. I mean, just uh, never really uh, frustrated Masvidal more, for more than a couple seconds here and there in the first round. And then by the end of the first round, he was almost knocked out. And I'll tell you, there was a shitload of controversy. And even Dana White blamed uh, Herb Dean for not stopping the fight at the end of the first round. But, I mean, we're talking about half a second at best of uh, him stopping the fight instead of uh, for the round instead of the entire fight. Uh, and I don't think there was any kind of extra damage really done that shouldn't have been. I think you have to give Donald Cerrone the opportunity there. Right. Because of his experience and his time in the organization that he's got a tough chin and that he's not out on his feet. And you know, one more punch wouldn't have done it at that point. One more second right, wouldn't right. have made and, that difference. And, and, and again, any I think any referee has to take into consideration who the guy is, what his background is, and we've seen him come back numerous times. When you like in that Melvin Gillard fight, he was out. Right. And all of a sudden he's right he's right back. And how about Greg Jackson's pep talk between rounds, huh? Yeah, move your head. Huh? Cowboy, <laughs> listen, listen to me. Are you there? Yeah. Where are you? I'm in Pittsburgh. It's raining. Yeah. Oh, man. That was that thousand-yard stare. Yeah. But I'll say better. one thing about Moswell. He embraces the villain role. Yes, he does. And when you look at pro wrestling, where would it be without the villains? Oh, absolutely. Because when I was a kid, and even when I was younger, I mean, I... It, it was more of a local flavor back in the 60s, 50s through the 70s. Uh, then the 80s started going national, and then McMahon, you know, took the whole thing over. And to his credit, made it a big corporation, but it doesn't have that same grassroots flavor that it did. But I remember back then once they had two uh, good guys in there, and Lord Layton saying, oh, a very clean competition. And no one wanted that. I mean, you got to have the heels. That's what makes it. And Masvidal is is perfect. I remember when he went to uh, Seattle and um, beat Michael Chesnia there in his hometown. So he seems to 
take great joy in doing that. And I'll tell you what, he has really improved his whole approach. And I think he's, he's right there one or two wins away from a title shot to keep it going. He looked great. Sure. He ate those kicks. Cerrone landed some good kicks, but Cerrone just couldn't see that. He was a big target. Big target. Yeah, and I mean, it's just like certain fighters. He, he just comes out, and he has that confidence right off the bat. He gets a couple shots in, and it's downhill for him. And in this fight, it just seemed like he couldn't string any kind of successful strategy together. And, you know, he lost confidence very early in the first round. Towards the end of the rounds, it was do or die, basically, you know. And just never regained his composure after that almost knockout. Um, did, did his best and you know gave it a shot, but you know toughness well, and heart doesn't win for you every time. Here, here's something to throw out at you, Rich. Do you think that he's been fighting too often? Yes, that's for damn sure. I mean, six weeks ago he goes through that war with Matt Brown, and it, it's almost like a thoroughbred racehorse. And it's not just um, fighting either, because it's the training too. And and I mean, right? if you watch the preliminary stuff. Uh, the programming that they do before the fights and you know for the pre-fight shows and stuff he was talking about how he has a different attitude about training than a lot of people you know like oh you know a lot of people wouldn't go hunting like he, they showed him going duck hunting and he's like well I don't care I'll go duck hunting after I train you know that's you gotta live your life and yeah I mean he does that and water skiing and you know just uh, skydiving all that crazy stuff and I get yeah, it. I get the perspective that you know, at his stage of his career, you know, maybe a couple more fights and go out on a high note and do that shit full time, train guys yeah. and and play around. But I mean, you, you can only have so much life and so much training if you want to climb to the championship and, and make those sacrifices and do all that stuff and take it seriously. And he's been so close to making that run, but then he just does something like takes a fight too early or takes the wrong fight with a guy that he doesn't train hard enough for or doesn't train right for, doesn't do the right things against. And Yeah, he very well could have won this fight with the right strategy, but just came in and, and just didn't capitalize in the first round. So, Okay, now here's another thing I may have got wrong because I had some people calling me, and Donald said he hadn't even watched any videos of Mazaval. You know, he, like, he and that's another mistake, that. yeah. That's not and, and, and so I was assuring everyone that I think that's an act. I think he's a hell of a lot smarter than he would come across. That and also could be because uh, Greg Jackson does that for him, you know, and he's the one that's supposed to be. Greg Jackson and Mike well, John are the guys that are supposed to be directing his strategy, so they're the, they're the guys well, that will watch the tape. Something, uh, maybe I was wrong in that assessment. Maybe he does think, oh, I don't care about fighting, doesn't matter. Yeah. Maybe he does have that kind of mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Don't call him cowboy for nothing. <laughs> but, I mean, how in the hell did he get as far as he's got? I mean, I don't see where that's a weakness to study your opponent. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, Tony, you chime in on this. Do you think that's a weakness? Do you know who you're fighting to study him? Well, you know what? Um, you can go with it in one of two ways, to be honest, Tom. Um, I know, like, the one time I was fighting a guy, and, I mean, I was studying him, studying him, watching. You know, I had, I had, um, we had taped the um, one show previously. My opponent had dropped out, so I spent the whole time, taped every match, and then uh, I found out I'm fighting this one guy. And then, I mean, I scouted, I scouted, I scouted, I scouted. 
and I had like this game plan in mind, but then he fought differently. And it really threw me off in the first round. Then I was able to adapt. But it's always good, um, and to give you a perfect example of scouting when it works well was Bernard Hopkins and Felix Trinidad. Bernard came out there and, and you know, he played like he was a you know, rough mob. But with, um, he came out there and they said every time like, there was a certain kind of step, he's going to step to your left away from his left hook. That worked. Guys like Floyd really don't scout much. He just adapts. So there's about it, but um, and I guess with Floyd, he, he can just rely on his natural talent like Roy Jones Jr. did. Um, but still, I, I, I just think that there should be some kind of balance there. I mean, you can't seem to have the game the same exact game plan all the time, you know? Right. Uh, well, kind of reminds me uh, of the uh, uh, fighter called uh, Babu Shumanoff. You might remember him fighting uh, Bernard Hopkins a few years ago. And sort of got demolished. Uh, didn't look good at all. Had this uh, one of the worst examples of hands by your chest uh, defense, uh, especially for boxing. I mean, horrible. And then you go two fights later and watch him, and it don't even look like the same guy. Completely different. Uh, suddenly starting to win fights because he does have defense. So you, know, you can watch all the tape in the world for him, and then he changes his game. So. It's a lot easier to track, I think, the MMA fighters in that situation because, you know, everybody knows where they train. So, obviously, if they move training camps, they're going to fight a little differently next time. But if they're not moving to camps, then, yeah, you ought to look at their video, I think. You know, if it doesn't uh, if it's, doesn't really help, I don't know. I think you're doing something wrong. <laughs> but if it hurts you, you're really doing something wrong. Uh, or you just misjudge the fact that he might change his game up. That's all. But, um, yeah, sometimes you're damned if you do. Sometimes you're damned if you don't. But I think in this case, uh, you have to take advantage of every opportunity you can to, to get any kind of advantage you can. When, especially in a lot of situations, you could legitimately say your life could be on the line. You know, you're risking your life in this business. So, every little bit helps. But, uh... Got one more fight to talk about uh, because obviously the um, the big one between uh, Francis Ngannou and uh, Andre Arlovsky didn't leave much to <laughs> discuss. Just a big punch and a knockout there for Ngannou, who um, he didn't really look that impressive to me. He's just uh, he's got some dangerous hands, which we haven't seen in the heavyweight division for a, a little while, uh, as far as you know, dynamic first round knockouts like that. Uh, so I'm excited to see where he goes. But, um, you know, Arlovsky, again, it goes back, I think, to the defense and the movement. And, uh, like, when I was singing his praises, he was throwing little stuff like short back fists instead of spinning back fists. And just, uh, it looks great against a guy like Travis Brown, but anybody that he steps up against, uh, it's a little bit better than him, just exposes him. Um, well, I, I, the, the question is, was that fight more a result of Arlovsky being shot and his chin's just gone? Or 
do we do we have a monster? Yeah. I mean, uh, and, it's and a I think both. that that uh, we're talking tonight on UFC about his next opponent, and um, uh, Cormier suggested Ben Rothwell, yeah. which would be pretty interesting because Rothwell takes a very good shot. And he's come back from a lot of things. Uh, Florian recommended Stefan Struve, so um, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, let's talk about uh, running out of steam and uh, not looking so good anymore. Alex Caceres, Bruce Leroy gimmick's getting kind of old there. Uh, he's back on a main event card, and uh, or a main card, I should say. Uh, just was going up against a guy with uh, a lot to fight for. Uh, had lost his father recently. He was fighting on his father's birthday. And uh, here he goes and uh, gets the win. I think it was his UFC debut, too, I believe. Uh, but he beats Alex Caceres by a rear naked choke. Uh, not a proven winner or anything, you know. He's had a lot of ups and downs. But uh, definitely a guy who has made a name for himself. Uh, in the UFC, Alex Caceres. Uh, Jason Knight came in there and manhandled him and uh, took him out uh, in the second round. And I get the point. Yeah, you, I get the, at this point, I get the feeling that Alex Caceres does not give a shit whether he wins or loses. He just cares yeah, yeah, I, that he's I, I, getting I paid and able there, to fight. I tell you, Knight, Knight was a monster on the ground with aggression. And that's the kind of grappling I think that, that people like to see. Uh, if, you know, they to talk about. We had a epic rematch uh, take place last week. Last weekend. Um, first, uh, before that one happened, we had that day John. That was a lot of coming. Again, uh, a big loss against Mikey Garcia. That a brutal knockout. Yeah. Oh, oh. Um, I've always been a Mikey Garcia Um, Yeah, he's a tremendously talented fighter. He comes family. Uh, you can tell he has a good pedigree, but he um, you know, really puts a lot of work into it with his natural skill. And, you know, it, it was a shame, you know, with, with some of his um, issues that he, that he hasn't been very active. And it was, you know, there was a few um, doubts going into the fight um, if he could be facing some ring rust. And he went out there and really proved that no, he wasn't. And you know, Boxwell fighting a Southpaw opponent, and I actually had both of my trainees working on that very same combo, walking him into the uppercut, pivoting to the left, and then firing that big right hand. And and then on the other side, you also got to see how classy and compassionate Garcia is, as well as his whole family. You know, he was obviously celebrating his win at first. He was very excited, big knockout win, until he saw that his opponent was still on the canvas. They were putting an oxygen mask on him, and he quickly subdued. And, you know, there, and then um, he was, and you even mentioned in the interview that he was relieved that his opponent was okay. And one thing you hear that they said to the gentleman when he was on the ground, and he was there first trying to get him up on the stool, they said, fight's over. No, you got caught. So... <laughs> Yeah. I'm sure his memory, he has no recollection, probably from leaving the dressing room. Yeah, that was that was uh, just brutal. 
Uh, why had Garcia been out for such a long time? Promotional uh, I think issues. Promotional. Yeah. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. Yeah, it was. I, I didn't even know about that until I, I read one of the press releases I put out on it, and, and uh, there it was. Uh, I think it was when he was commenting after the fact uh, of uh, talking about the win. He, he talked about how difficult that was and, you know, how he just kept training through it all and was better off for it. So, uh, now, now he's with the right people, I guess, and, you know, we're looking forward to seeing how he develops there, gets back into it. Uh, but the big one, obviously, was uh, Carl Frampton losing this time to uh, Leo Santa Cruz and, uh, just uh, getting sort of out-hustled, I think, yeah. was, uh, was the general consensus. And just uh, Santa Cruz adapted very well to um, some of Frampton's uh, uh, act- action activities in the first few rounds where he started to look good in certain areas. Santa Cruz picked up on that and turned the tide, basically, and, and um, made the better adjustments, which happens a lot especially when the fight goes the full distance. Um, look what happened with, uh, as much as a lot of people might disagree, um, uh, the fight between uh, Kovalev and Ward went the same way. Adjustments. That's all it is sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, a little twist of the jab, a little drop of the head in a certain area, you know. Little things make all the difference in the boxing world. Uh, but obviously, we got some big ones coming up um, this weekend. Obviously, tonight on uh, Fox Sports One. Right now, we've got um, Carl versus Ramirez. Ryan Carl fighting Eddie Ramirez. Both guys undefeated at welterweight. It's a lot of welterweights on this card. Um, and uh, Eddie is 15 and 0. Ryan Carl is 13 and 0. So somebody's always going to go in this one. I haven't really been watching it, but we're on round nine right now. Of Ten. Grabbing Carl is starting to take a pretty good shellacking in the ninth round. He's cut. He looks pretty fatigued. And Ramirez is really bringing a lot of pressure on him. He's really hitting that body. And I would have to say this is probably one of the best cards put together for a Thursday night uh, event on PBC on Fox Sports One. Um, they've also got the toe-to-toe Tuesdays events they do that are generally lower, lower-tiered fighters. But uh, these guys have some big names. And, um, Sammy and Luis in the main event. Uh, Sammy Vasquez and Luis Calazzo. Uh, it's a classic battle of experience versus the up-and-comer. And the up-and-comer is having to overcome uh, his first loss of his career in his last fight. While Luis Colazzo um, was doing pretty well in his last fight and had to stop due to cuts. Uh, so it's a classic, classic uh, battle here. Uh, and it's experience versus youth as well. Because Luis Colazzo is talking this could be his last fight if he doesn't win. Coming in at 36 and 7 and, uh, you know, fighting a veritable who's who in the sport. Sammy uh, has really no huge, huge names on his record at this point except for his last couple fights. So, this is the big time for him. This is a chance to show that uh, he's back and that he's figured it out, whatever failed him the last time. And Luis is trying to say that he can still hang. So, old school versus new school. We'll see who wins. <laughs> but I'm going to enjoy watching this one. We'll be off the broadcast here probably in about 10 minutes here or so, depending on how fast we get through the schedule. 
Uh, we also got uh, a couple other uh, fighters here with both of them got 17 wins. Yordinas Yugas at welterweight, 17 and 3, fighting Levan uh, Gvamachiva, who is 17, 2 and 1. And probably pronounces his name differently than I just did. Uh, and then we also have a win already, looks like, uh, for Jose Miguel Borrego at welterweight, 10 and 0. Uh, stays undefeated against Thomas Mendez, who is another guy coming in with a little bit more experience than his opponent. Thomas Mendez uh, ends up 23 and 8. Um, nothing else uh, final there yet, but uh, big one tonight as well. Actually, tomorrow night, uh, or is it tonight? I don't know. Uh, I think Australia is a day ahead of us, aren't they? Yes. Friday night over there tonight, uh, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so, Anthony Mundine will be fighting Danny Green. We talked about this one last week. Anthony is uh, 47 and 7. My lucky number, 47. Uh, it also happened to be the exact number of fights my old trainer used to have. Uh, the other Tony. Uh, then Danny Green comes in at 35 and 5. Tony Petronelli, by the way. He's talking about. Uh, Australian cruiserweight title also on the line in this one. So, uh, not just for bragging rights here. And um, this is a rematch, I believe, right? You guys fought a long time ago. Yeah, I have the uh, box track in front of me. But... I will tell us in a second here. And now that I have box track up for Danny Green, I can tell you he has two knockouts. No, two knockout losses, I should say. 28 knockout wins. Let's see, when did, when did they last fight? Anthony Mundine. They last fought in May of 2006. And uh, Mundine lost. No, um, Mundine won that one. By unanimous decision. So this is part two. That should be a good one for Australian fans. Um, the only other significant fight on the card, uh, it doesn't even give us a weight class, but we have Trent Broadhurst, 19-1, versus Nader Hamdan. 19-1 <laughs> versus 44-13-1. Hamdan. Nader Hamdan, huh? Yeah. What a cool, what a cool name. <laughs> There's another guy on the card named Shane Tuck. Tuck it in. <laughs> How would Ed Durian say that name? <laughs> Shane, don't give a fuck, Tuck. That's his nickname. <laughs> Nader Hamdam. Hamdam. Shane Puck. Puck. <laughs> All right. Trying to find some other decent stuff. We have the WBO Latino lightweight title. Um... Up, up, up for grabs on a Bob Arum card from Puerto Rico on Friday. Uh, it's going to be on Unimas TV. Felix Verdejo, 22-0, fighting Oliver Flores, who's 27-2-2. The co-main event there is Christopher Diaz, 19-0, fighting Efrain Esquivias, who is 17-5-1. And the new Ray Robinson, fighting in Philly on Friday. At the, sh the sugar house. Gotta get some sugar. The sugar house. 
Uh, Ray Robinson, 21 and 2, fighting Edwin Palacios, who was 12, 4 and 1. That's the main event. Uh, Co-main event is middleweight's Kali Reese, who is 10, 6 and 1, versus Keita Watkins, who's 7 and 14. And we got German Moraz coming in at 55 and 40. With one draw, fighting Hiron Sokaras, who's 14-0-2 at super featherweight. I guess when you're super featherweight, you can take 40 losses with your 55 wins. Yeah, 15, 40, 50, 50, what was it, 55 and 40? 55 and 40. Yeah. 55 and 40 and one draw. Only, only the one draw. Yeah. yeah, that's a tough one. Tough record there. And I believe we have the mismatch of the week as well in Australia on Saturday. Again, we don't have a weight class, but we've got Les Sherrington coming in at 35 wins, 9 losses. And he's fighting the king, Salar King, who is 5 and 6. <laughs> 11 fights to uh, 44 fights of experience. Four times as many fights, literally. And it's no surprise that the co-main event is Luke Toop, who is 0-1, versus John Min, who's 7-19. and Yikes. <laughs> Where can they find these men? I wonder who the matchmaker is there. Uh, well, this is a good one. The names tonight, unbelievable. We've got another one in Queensland, Australia, and none of these fights rate as any good. Uh, the closest one is Amy Addis, 1-0, versus Sarah Dwyer, who's 1-1. One one. But the main event, we got Liam Paro, who's 5-0, and, oh, and Daniel Maxwell, who's 6 wins, 41 losses, and 2 draws. But the best one here is Marlon Toby, who has got 7 wins, 34 losses, and 2 draws. And he is fighting the best. Tyson Best is his name. And it is... It is his pro debut, so we'll have to watch out for Tyson Best because that's, that's the best name, right? You know, it's the best name. Can't beat it. Uh, that's funny. Tyson Fury, meet your new best name. You're stepping down. You got another guy with a best name from the sport. So Ramirez just stopped the uh, card. Just stopped him, all right. Now here's one for a title with a guy who's 38 and 27. Four, four draws. Mikel Avakian over in France fighting Mohamed Ayad who's 16-1-1 for the vacant World Boxing Federation International Super Lightweight title. 38 and 27. Still on Saturday. Over in Germany, we got a couple of belts online. In uh, Magdeburg, heavyweights Agit Kabayel, 15 and 0, fighting Herv Hubo, who is 26 and 1. That one's for the vacant EBU heavyweight title. And then we got flyweights, heavyweights to flyweights. How about that for co-main event? Yeah, you got to watch the heavyweights in the main event, but you got to watch the little guys in the co. Uh, Merkel Martin, 7-0, fighting Joseph Ajtai, who's 18-6 for the German international flyweight title there. 
rest of the card. Oh, by the way, last week, uh, your boy Chuck Masaccio had a tough loss, too, against the guy I thought uh, he was way overmatched against. But uh, lost a six-round uh, unanimous decision, I believe. Decision, but I didn't really hear anything else about it. Yeah. And they just basically out-hustled him. It was a six-round fight, so there's really not much time for a comeback there. This wasn't Chuck's night there, I guess. So I guess you're glad you didn't go to that one, huh? <laughs> uh, Mexico. We got some in Mexico, too. Jackie Nava, super bantamweight on Saturday. She's, or he is, no, she is, 32-4-3, fighting Ana Maria Lozano, who is 13-5-1. And, and then we got uh, welterweights Jamie Munguia, 19-0, fighting Juan Macias Montiel, 19-3-1. And uh, down in Quintana Roo, Mexico, Cancun area, we have uh, lightweight Dante Jordan or Jardon. He is 30 and five, fighting Francisco Rojo, who is 18 and two, for the WBC International Silver lightweight title. There, Francisco Rodriguez Jr. coming in 21, four and one, will be fighting Hajim Nagai, who's 14, seven and two in the co-main event, and again. Thanks to Boxrec, we have no weight class there listed. Uh, and then South Africa even has some bouts this weekend worth talking about. We got uh, main event of Hecky Butler, 30-2 at light flyweight, fighting Joey Kanoy, who is 12-2 with one draw. That one's for the vacant International Boxing Organization World Light Flyweight title. And no belt on the line in the co-main event, light heavyweights Rhino Liebenberg. 17 and 4 fighting Enrico Coling who is 22 and 1. All right. And over in London we get some fights uh, Saturday night. Reynold Quinlan 11 and 1 fighting Chris Eubank Jr. 23 and 1 for the IBO World Super Middleweight title. Then we got Andrew Selby versus Arden Diali at flyweight. Diali comes in at 32-10-4. Selby coming in at 7-0 for the WBC International Flyweight title. And featherweights, Kid Galahad, 21-0, fighting Joseph Agbeko, who is 31-5. No belt there, but uh, there is a belt on the line between uh, super middleweights Adam Etches, 20-1, and, and John Ryder, who's 23-3. That one's for the vacant IBF International Super Middleweight title. Christian Hammer, also on the card at heavyweight. Coming in at 20 wins, 4 losses. Fighting David Price, who's 21-3 on that card in London. Uh, and then Paul Highland Jr. Used to be promoted by Snooky over here in the United States. Uh, is, is over there in Northern Ireland. And Belfast fighting in the main event uh, Saturday. Fighting Karoli Galovich. Paul comes in at 13-0 at lightweight. Galovich comes in at 7-0. That's a big one on that card. Nothing really else uh, too entertaining or on paper, it looks like. And then we got a guy who is a big loser, no pun intended, in the United Kingdom uh, fighting on another card. I just thought I'd mention this fight. Nothing else is too awesome on this card. But welterweights, Ek 
Takao Isuman. He is 1-0 at welterweight, fighting Kevin McCauley, who comes in with 11 wins to go with 133 losses and 10, 10, count them, draws. And, but you might argue that's not the worst guy on the card because there's a guy named Curtis Gargano coming in with a record of zero wins, 26 losses, and one draw. <laughs> so the one draw is his best performance. You know, uh, talk about if at first you don't succeed. <laughs> yeah, there is. Man, I mean, uh, at what point does persistence become... Um, there's no slaughter I mean, rule hey, over it, there. This and, business is not for everyone. In the UK especially, sure. there is no slaughter rule. No call on account of you can't win. Uh, yikes. Uh, and then we got Sunday, of course. We got Sunday. Uh, Asian fights are usually on Sunday, and this one comes from South Korea. Uh, and it's for a belt. Uh, the WBC Eurasia Pacific Boxing Council lightweight title. Uh, fighting, uh, a couple guys fighting for that. Uh, Yong Soo Choi, who is 34 and 1, 30 wins, 4 losses, 1 draw. Fighting Nelson Tinampei, who's 11, 3 and 1. That's the best fight on that card. Uh, this one might be another mismatch of the week. I have to name two of them. Flyweights over in uh, the Philippines on Sunday. Uh, Romnel, no, Romo Asenjo comes in at 31 and 5, fighting a guy named J.C. Francisco. Comes in at 6, 13, and 6. So, unless the J.C. stands for Jesus Christ, I don't think there's going to be a miracle in the Philippines on that, on that card. That fight, anyway. J.C. I did it just because. That's what J.C. stands for. Just because I could. That's it. Till next Thursday for boxing. As for upcoming fights uh, in uh, combat sports, our mixed martial arts, we did not talk about yet. Uh, the only one that's coming up is uh, Saturday night from Houston, Texas. Obviously taking advantage of the Super Bowl crowd being there in Texas. Uh, fight night 104 UFC is putting on. Uh, main event, Dennis Bermudez versus Chan Sung Young. Speaking of Asian dudes, coming in at 13-4, and four, Sun Young. He is uh, fighting a very tough opponent, Dennis Bermudez, who was in the title picture not too long ago. Just had a uh, difficult fight his last time out. He is 16-5, uh, and five, and uh, should be a nice uh, free fight card there. I'm assuming it's going to be on Fox Sports 1. And, uh, and it's going to be some fun for the fans that are going to watch the New England Patriots smoke the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. Hopefully. I'm hoping. Freaking Secretary of State uh, invoked the Patriots motto today. I don't know if you guys caught that in the news media, but uh, good old Rex Tillerson was talking about uh, the Patriots motto of do your job. That's uh, got him so far over the last few years. Just do your job. 
It was actually, I think, the model that carried them to the win in their last Super Bowl there with the last second interception there by uh, Malcolm. Malcolm Butler. Anyway, uh, co-main event there at UFC Fight Night 104 is a women's bout. Alexa Grasso fighting Felice Herrig. Uh, Herrig's uh, been kind of uh, out of the main picture for a while. She's been kind of been in supporting bouts. I believe her, the last fight I saw her in was against Paige Van Zandt, and she did not do very well. I think it was Paige Van Zandt. Yes, I gotta check shit all the time these days. I don't know what's going on. Let me check it. Alright, so, yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, speaking of making corrections, uh, I was watching Fox News this morning, and uh, they mistakenly uh, described the story of, you know, it's Groundhog Day today, so they're, they're talking about the groundhogs. And, and supposedly uh, the mayor of New York dropped uh, Staten Island Phil, they said first, you know, because there's Punxsutawney Phil. So they supposedly had Staten Island Phil, and uh, the mayor of New York dropped him, and he died. <laughs> the damn thing died. Uh, so the mistake there they were talking about was, I guess, it's Chuck. Punks, it's Punxsutawney Phil, but it's Staten Island Chuck. And uh, Chuck uh, bit the dust there. Not, not Staten Island Phil. No. So this is funny. They had to make that correction, and they made a big deal out of it. Oh, we got to get shit right here. You know? It's Chuck, not Phil. I stand corrected. But he did die. That's, that's not, not made up. Anyway. Uh, Felice Herrig, yes. Paige Van Zandt was her last loss. That was back on UFC uh, on Fox 15. Machida versus Rockhold in April of 2015. And since then, Herrig has gotten a win over Kaylin Curran by rear naked choke submission just one minute and 59 seconds into their fight on July 23rd of last year. So, good stuff. Uh, we also have, uh, let me see Dennis Bermuda's record up here, and I can tell you his uh, last loss was Jeremy Stevens in uh, July of 2015. But he's actually had a couple wins, so I was wrong on that. And his last two fights were unanimous decision wins: Tatsuya Kawajiri back in February of last year, and Roni Mariano Bezerra in August of last year. But Ricardo Lamas and Jeremy Stevens had back-to-back wins over him in uh, 2015, July and November, respectively. There, so. Uh, he's come back from that and put together a couple wins. He's also got wins over Clay Guida, Max Holloway, um, and let's see, who else? Well, nobody too huge, but uh, other losses against Diego Brandao, Jordan Rinaldi, and Drew Fickett, but those were all back in 2010 and 2011, so only two recent losses there for him. We go back to the rest of the card. We got some other pretty good contenders. James Vick coming in at nine and one, fighting Abel Trujillo, who's fifteen and six. Ovince St. Prue, otherwise known as OSP, since there's no GSP anymore, he is uh, nineteen and nine, fighting Volcan Ozdemir, who's twelve and one. I've never heard of that guy, so I don't know. Um, then we've got Anthony Hamilton coming in at 15 and 6, fighting Marcel Fortuna, who's 8 and 1. Another female fight, Angela Hill coming in at 6 and 2, uh, making the best of her uh, opportunity here in the UFC after her appearance on The Ultimate Fighter. She's fighting Jessica Andrade, who is 15 and 5. We have Curtis Blades also in action, 6 and 1, fighting Adam Milstead, who's 8 and 1. 
Ricardo, Lucas Ramos, 9-1, fighting Michinori Tanaka, who's 11-2. Chaz Skelly, 16-2, fighting Chris Grootsmacher, who is 13-1. And, and uh, Tony's Tony's little buddy, Tisha, the Tiny Tornado Torres, she is 7-1, seven, seven fighting Beck Rawlings, 7-5, taking advantage of that U.S. versus Australian feud there, I guess. So uh, Beck is from Down Under, and uh, Tisha is from the United States. Tisha actually reminds me a lot of the gymnast body type, you know, the uh, short and stout, uh, just uh, all kinds of tough and, uh, you know, very skinny, very uh, low-fat content, uh, a lot of muscle, and just built like a gymnast. I just can't really describe her any other way, but... Um, you know, she, she fights in a little compact uh, crouch style, kind of like uh, the old Rocky Marciano we always talk about with his uh, right hand popping up from it. And uh, Tisha does kind of the same stuff, just in a smaller package. So looking forward to watching her fight again, but I'm kind of disappointed to see her way down in the third fight of the night. Uh, she probably should be up higher than that. But she only got one loss, and uh, Beck's got five, so I think it's a pretty good bet that she takes this one. And Beck has been really sloppy and all over the place in a couple of her fights. I haven't been really impressed by her style. So, we'll have to see if she's improved or not. But. Second fight of the night, Alex Moronu, who is 13-3, fighting Nico Price, who's 9-0. and And then first fight of the night, Khalil Roundtree, 4-2, fighting Daniel Jolly, who is 5-1. And, and he'll be a lot more jolly when he gets a picture because he's, uh, he's a UFC fighter now. So, you ought to have a picture on Dog when you make a UFC fight card. It's just uh, one of those things, you know. Yeah. Sure, dog is definitely not as bad as box rack, even though they don't give you the knockouts either on the main cards. But some things they definitely need improvement on. When you're on the UFC roster, you really should have a picture in the system on sure dog. Just saying. So uh, that's pretty much it. Let me just check to see if we've got any uh, crazy. Uh, Headlines on Sherdog here. Hey, Tony, why do you think they call that Levin guy Wolf? Oh, God. Is that guy Neanderthal Man or what? Oh, Man. Talk about the Fox Sports I one. I didn't know George the Animal Steel became a boxer. <laughs> <laughs> guy you'd want to say, you know, if I'd meet him so I'd not say goofy things like this, like, man, it looks like you could take some shots. <laughs> 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 and, you know, I mean, that kind of is a compliment. Some guys don't take it that way, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, it was, um, one of the funniest things I, um, I read, this was uh, probably about 10 or so years ago, um, when Nikolai Valuev was still fighting. I was just going to say, this guy looks like his hair, hair pattern on his chest. Then he was doing Ring Magazine for a while. Uh, Jim Bag, his name was, B-A-G-G. And I used to like him because he was real sarcastic. And he used to call uh, Valuev like this, like a, a living Wookiee. He'd be like, it's got to be horrible to fight him because you got to fight him in close. And next thing you know, you're getting this big Wookiee you know, on top of you. You know, it's like horrible. <laughs> and 
then, of course, you can't forget John Ruiz's interview with us. And uh, he talked about fighting value of being like the scene in Along Came Polly, the uh, Ben Stiller movie, where they're playing basketball, shirts and skins, and he ends up colliding with this guy. And they show it in slow motion when he hits his sweaty chest and his face just slides all the way down. And that's exactly how that uh, Ruiz described fighting value. That's how it felt the whole time. Yes, I remember that. Uh, to go back and find that, because that was hilarious. The only time I think we laughed harder during an interview was when uh, Ray Mercer talked about farting in the middle of a fight. Oh, when you're farting and bring with him, say, with body punches? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, farting. He's like, I, he's like, I got enough to says, my name is Moses. So the guy says, oh, what the hell? What 
the hell is that all about? Who named you Moses, he says. So the parrot squawks back, the same guy who named the pit bull in the corner, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is watching you. So feel free to use that one. It's not copyrighted. I got shingles right now. <laughs> that's pretty bad. He's got the Kimbo beard under his armpit. <laughs> Goes all the way around his back. Nuts. Alright guys, well, until next week, we'll have a lot more to talk okay, about. Try to get a guest. And, uh, can't wait to get that Trump interview 